Hello, and welcome to a special episode of Present Company. I'm your host, Krista Smith. Over the past few months, I've had the pleasure of sitting down separately with the cast of Jane Campion's new film, The Power of the Dog. Today, we're taking a deep dive into those conversations to bring together the perspectives and experiences of the actors behind this incredible project. You'll be hearing from Kirsten Dunst, who plays Rose, and Cody Smith-McPhee, who plays her son, Peter. You'll also be hearing excerpts from two unreleased present company interviews, one with Benedict Cumberbatch, who plays Phil Burbank, and the other with Jesse Plemons, who plays his brother, George. The Power of the Dog was adapted from Thomas Savage's 1967 novel. After reading the book, director and writer Jane Campion struggled to get it out of her head. So she looked into acquiring the rights. It's important to note that The Power of the Dog is Jane's first film in 12 years. She was the first woman to win the Palme d'Or at Cannes for her short film Peel in 1986 and the second female to be nominated for a Best Director Academy Award for her film The Piano in 1994, which went on to win her an Academy Award for Best Screenplay. As a fierce advocate for women in filmmaking, Jane has consistently centered her stories around women who break traditional narratives of femininity. But with The Power of the Dog, Jane cuts deep into the film's hardened masculine exterior to reveal the most vulnerable, and the darkest parts of each of its characters. We'll start things off by hearing how each of the cast members became involved in the film. Here's Kirsten Dunst. First, Jesse was offered the movie, and um, Elizabeth Moss was in the film. Then she couldn't do it because of her show. And then I was replaced, and Paul Dano was supposed to do it, and then Paul Dano went to do Batman, and then they went back to Jesse. So it was like a weird moving piece So to finally... You know, to be able to work with Jesse again and on a Jane Campion movie. I mean, I would have played Phil. You know what I mean? I, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I really didn't need to read a script. It was, you know, it, I, I would do anything, you know, for Jane. The Jesse Kirsten is referring to is, of course, Jesse Plemons, who plays her husband, George, in the film and also happens to be her husband in real life. I mean, I remember when I first read the script, Kirsten was like, it's Jane Campion. You're doing this, you know. <laughs> I first met Jane right after I finished I'm Thinking of Ending Things, and she had a small window of time in, in L.A., read the script, and was floored by it, really, really loved it. And then she showed me um, the lookbook she already had, and it was just stunning, you know, the, the images that, that she had pulled and some of the old photographs. And, you know, obviously she's a master at what she does, but this, this felt, it felt like something different, slightly different for her, which was exciting. For Cody Smith McPhee, who plays Rose's son, Peter, his fascination with the project began during his audition. I think I really fell in love with the, the idea of being a part of it when I had met Jane specifically, because ironically, I had showed up to a beautiful little kind of nice house like this. It wasn't in like a auditioning cattle call room you know where you're like nervous in the waiting room mm-hmm. <laughs> you hear them in there and you have a time limit it was very like it was the most ideal setting in that sense and I walked inside and I was supposed to have had lines prepared a script a little scene prepared and I didn't know that for some reason there was some miscommunication but for Jane that was completely 
fine and and she forgave me like right on the spot and just rolled with it she was like that's totally okay you know you've read the script okay so you have an understanding for the character so let's just talk as peter right now you know let's get peter in the room and so my stance immediately had changed and i just embodied him how i saw him in my head which i hadn't done yet um so that was kind of cool to see him just immediately come alive and I just kind of saw her, not to, I don't know, pat myself on the back or get big head or anything, but I saw her falling in love with what seeing Peter come to life, uh, as, as was I. And then we just did a couple cold reads of some scenes and stuff, and it was a lot of fun and it felt very natural. And uh, yeah, so that was, the, that was the beginning of that. When I spoke to Benedict Cumberbatch back in September, he fondly described the moment that Jane offered him the role of Phil Burbank, the sadistic rancher who stands at the center of the film. That was an extraordinary moment because she was coming to me with this ask that was so different from anything anyone had seen in me before. Mm-hmm. On many levels, I was so revved up about that. I was so thrilled that someone could see that in me mm-hmm. that I wanted, I, want, I wanted to meet her too uh, to, to see what it was that she thought if there was something she wanted to talk mm-hmm. about that, I, I, that made her think that I was a good choice for this role. And yet there's also the fear of meeting Jane bloody mm-hmm. Campion. I mean, she's mm-hmm. just this iconic woman of our culture and an extraordinary filmmaker whose work has been seminally important to me as well as everyone mm-hmm. else who's seen it. And, you know, I, I just, I was with my family at the time. She came into our home, well, not our home, but somewhere we were staying. And she just breezes in with a rucksack, just going, oh, hi, hi, how are you? I'm, I'm Jane, mm-hmm. I just wanted to meet you. And she's just so human and normal mm-hmm. and easy to be around. And yet at the same time, she's got an alchemy and you're just mm-hmm. waiting to know when that drops. And it did in conversation. There was just these sparkles of brilliance and these touches of insight into the story or the view of the world that she had or how she wanted to realize that world with a lookbook and talking about how she thought of Phil. She was always thinking about those hairy chaps and him being sort of like a satire figure, this sort of half man, half animal, because yeah. he's so much of nature and immersed in nature. <laughs> Alongside the opportunity to work with Jane, it was the complexity of Phil's character that drew Benedict to the project. I mean, there's just so much going on in any given moment of behavior, which could be judged in isolation without context, is gargantuanly nasty or mean or, or tortured or torturing. He has this deep conflict in him, which is a mixture of fighting and being himself and also fighting against inauthenticity and being authentic to the way of life that he's been brought up in and even that's complicated he comes from east coast brahmin stock his parents hardly ever got on horses let alone got dirty with the work of castration and branding and herding and and fencing and everything else that goes into cattle ranching and he fell for it hook line and sinker he found his purpose and still managed to be a scholarly student at a brownstone university and immensely proficient i mean almost to a polymathic degree anything he turned his hand to and whether it was the delicacy of whittling a chair or ironmongery or taxidermy both of which is lots more of that sort of stuff is in the in the book Um, but the banjo playing which is obviously in the film and the whittling of a little chair I mean the the kind of breadth of this person and then at the core of him there's this inability to be his authentic mm-hmm. self. And then on top of that, you've got a filmmaker like Jane, who is so profoundly open to exploring sexuality, masculinity, gender, and also any form of physical sensuality. So she really gave a platform for me, well, first of all, to immerse myself in the role. This character immersion was something Jane encouraged all of her actors to take part in prior to production. 
However, the style and intensity of that development differed vastly for each person. Here's Kirsten again. My approach as an actress is I do all my work myself with my acting. Me and Greta, we work together. That's my acting teacher. And we just kind of make a witch's brew of like who roses. So that no matter what circumstance I'm in or what take number I'm at or whatever it is, I have everything I need to be as full as I can and as present as I can and have so many ideas that excite me as an actress myself. Before I even like talk to a director or anything, I have like an artillery, a Bible of like notes and notes and notes. I've done dream work. I've done so many things and I have so many references in my own brain that like I'll I'll never feel stale or stuck or like I don't have an idea. And that gives you a confidence where you just feel like nobody knows this role better than me. Roses trying to understand her son and I think she feels guilty her husband killed himself and the son saw it and had to cut him down and like there's so much history there that you you get in snippets throughout the film but I think she just as a mother has she's so worried about him in this western like you said toxic masculinity this kid would thrive in a city like he's not you know in a place that that is accepting of him. I worked with a body specialist who, who really dialed in all of those little things that, and ticks that Peter does. And obviously an accent coach who helped me with like the lisp and stuff like that. And all of these little pieces came together, which just did so much more to my performance than I would have, would have done myself. Mm-hmm. Like I said, like a lot of that came to life in that audition scene with Jane. But at the same time, I owe so much to her because she really challenged me in a way that I have never been challenged before by a director. And that was with a lot of these techniques, which, you know, my father, he knew of them all. And he always taught me little bits and pieces of all of these different techniques, like Alexander technique and stuff like that. But it was taken to the extent where, you know, I'd I'd write it on a page, like what animal I thought my character related to or what archetype he represented. But Jane took me to the point where, you know, I was working with someone that had me on my hands and knees hunting like, you know, a wolf would or a fox rather is the animal I chose for Peter. And that kind of negative judgment of the LA kind of stuff was coming in, being like, oh, I don't, I don't think I need to do that kind of stuff. You know, I got my own rinse and repeat process. But in that same breath, in that same thought, I, I let it go and I just went with the flow of it. And I thought, you know, there's nothing to lose. I'd, I'd love this experience with Jane and um, yeah. In addition to the character work each of these actors went through, a few cast members also underwent physical preparation to accurately portray the lifestyle and skill set of someone living on a 1920s ranch. Jesse already had the writing skills that his character George would require. Growing up in Texas, my dad roped and rode horses and I I rode from a very young age and like went to rodeos and all that. Benedict by far had the longest list of skills to master. His character Phil is an expert in braiding, horse riding, whittling, banjo, whistling, and bull castration in order to hone in on those skills, many of which take decades to perfect. Jane sent Benedict to a ranch in Montana prior to filming. I had, you know, a very informative, amazing time there and and practiced pretty much everything you see in the film, taking hide, treating it, cutting it, beveling it, strengthening it, lengthening it, just everything before even the braiding begins and the horse riding, the roping, um, not that there's roping in the film that Phil does, but, you know, just learning how to do that. And it it didn't stop, but 
there were a lot of things that I would never have got good enough to do in mm -hmm. camera to the level of Phil. Mm -hmm. I mean, he, like I said, he really was an expert yeah. in all of these things. It's that horrible thing where you, if you're authenticating your experience as an actor by investing as much time and effort in trying to learn these skills, it is just an impossible list to master. Mm -hmm. I mean, even the even single hand rolling right. of a cigarette on horseback and then lighting it, that's a hard thing to yeah. do. <laughs> you've got wind, you've got everyone on set everything. going, oh, I could do that. And then just watching them kind of make these fat doobies or and yeah. it's like it's, as it says in the book they're just these really mm -hmm. tight little um rolls with one hand and, and then the whistling and the banjo playing and the horse riding you know all of it but in order to feel it to feel him you have to do it you have to do it mm -hmm. and she also let me do that and i had a i had a long runway for this we met in i think may and we didn't shoot until january next year once the cast arrived on location in new zealand they began a two-week rehearsal process that involved improvisations group meals, long hikes, and even some dancing. The first rehearsal day with Benedict was definitely surprising. She had brought on this movement specialist to kind of be there for any questions we had, you know, the phys physicality with any of our characters. But our first day of rehearsal was a brother's waltz, and it was like, very strange. It was doing Elliot Smith song. I mean, I've taken a handful of different classes and like anytime you're uncomfortable, that's usually a good thing. You know, it was even, I think more, a more brilliant way to start than I, than I knew then, because it's so easy, especially early on, especially, you know, something as rich as, as this story to like come in at it, from an intellectual standpoint first. But this this was a way of, of getting us to immediately like relate to each other on a on a different level. And she wanted him to lead and for me to follow. It felt like a shortcut into our kind of dynamic. It's a nice physical way into what the structure of that relationship was, but also just to feel Jesse's body to be close to a man that I've grown up with, that I've mm -hmm been a kid with a boy with an adolescent with and, and an adult with who i sleep side by side in the same bed you know we'd know each other's smells and feels you know it's like proximity to be bred out of two actors who while we both adore each other yeah. he's the real deal he's the real deal through and through in every single thing he does he's amazing and i adore him and uh you know if, but to have that proximity just like that just to go in the pan i mean yeah i think we both cared about it enough to find it but that was a brilliant way of her kind of cracking that open mm -hmm. quickly in the rehearsal process, there were times Benedict and I would say there's a conversation with, with our mother, the old lady. Well, Francis wasn't there. And so Jane would fill in as, as the old lady. And she's, she's brilliant. <laughs> she's, she's so good to the point where I just, yeah, I remember saying, why are you not in your movies? And saying that because... I think with each character, she's really able to step inside who they are and has a really personal connection to each character. They're all parts of herself, it seems like. For Benedict and Jesse, Jane wanted to get them into a place where they could emulate the unusual sibling dynamic that Phil and George share. Not my biggest concern about George, but my first impression of him was you know that i wasn't interested in just like playing the version of him that is is sort of based on 
everything that Phil says about him, which after I read the book, you know, I realized that the majority of the information that that you're getting is all through Phil's lens. You know, it's it's all this older brother that's just, you know, been using George as a punching bag for years and years and years. George is just very quietly turning away from the dance they've been doing for 25 mm -hmm. years. He's looking to the future, whereas his brother is mm -hmm. wanting to celebrate the past, the deep past for mm -hmm. them over half a lifetime ago. What was so interesting to me and in this character of Phil mm. is that he's so sophisticated and yeah. we learn through the course of the film, he's been back East and educated. Yeah. He's, as you said, he's excellent at everything he does. He's yeah. got a superior intellect, yeah. uh, culturally, intellectually, and even for numbers. I mean, it's yeah. everything. Yeah. And yet he's so dependent emotionally yeah. on his brother. Yeah. That is yeah. by all and, you know, simple, Slow. Grounded, slow, yeah. not intellectual, not yeah. culture, none of those things that Phil would respect and own and like, but also disdain. Yeah. But that mix was so interesting to me. That and chemistry. And the dependency on him as the well. The dependency. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, for me, you know, I kind of got it. You know, they're in the middle of this place. 25 years they've been doing it. He calls him Flatso, which is like, whoa. Uh, you know, and it's. And at the same time, he, he loves his brother very, 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 very deeply and profoundly in a way that probably would never have been expressed mm -hmm. in their life. But the need of him is mm -hmm. dependency. That's not a healthy love. I understand that. But at the same time, I think there is, there was a real care. 1925 in Montana. It's a very, it's a very interesting shift, that whole mm -hmm. era between um, the manual and the mechanized between an old way of ranching and a new way of ranching. Yeah. It's all happening. It's all happening. And this guy's really digging his feet into the past. And so not only is it 1925, but he's sort of aching for a time that's already disappearing as well. Even in the film with the one key moment at the beginning where he's trying to lead his brother to understand what the importance of this mm -hmm. moment in time is. It keeps on giving him mm -hmm. clues, clues, and it just winds him up. He actually gets angry about mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. His lack of interest in the world around him. And it infuriates him because he wants his companionship because he mm -hmm. loves him. When filming began, Jane was careful to preserve the hard work her actors had put in during pre-production and rehearsal. Jane really wanted Benedict to remain in character. She introduced me to the crew as, as Phil. She went, this is Phil, everyone, you're going to meet Phil. Mm -hmm. At the end of the shoot, you'll meet Benedict. He's really nice. To keep someone that has such a kind heart so cold and in the world of Phil, I think it makes sense to, to kind of keep him there. When he's not that, he's just the sweetest guy ever i have always an amazing laugh with him and just really inspiring seeing his process and seeing his dedication and then seeing how it comes out on screen me and benedict don't even really have scenes together so i had to create this monster this demon whatever frightens me and like breaks me down myself so it's a very lonely character in that way benedict and i never talked to each other on set that was something that i think helped maybe create some more like tension between us when we got together on the weekends or our kids played, then obviously, you know, we would be nice to each other. But he, he's very, like, nice in English and apologizes a lot. He's the kind of guy who's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, mm -hmm. I'm sorry. I'm very apologetic and I often end up over-explaining myself or, or I'm a people pleaser. And Phil's not that. He's very strident. Um, he gets a lot wrong and that's some of his undoing. In order to have that framework of freedom, she then also allowed me to be utterly mentally and 
process-wise, but also physically as well, literally naked and open to who this man is in private. It was good for him, I think, and also for me just not to talk to each other if we did see each other on set. While Kirsten and Benedict shared only a few scenes together, she spent ample time with Cody, who plays her son, Peter. We both had things we could draw upon where you see someone that, you know, is supposed to be your protector just falling apart or like drunk or something. I mean, we both talked a lot about that together. And Cody's someone who's like, when he was alone, he'd always come over to Jesse's in my house. Like, I loved Cody. I hung out with uh, Kirsten and Jesse quite a bit. They're so down to earth. They were really like my extended, you know, mother and father mm-hmm. on that job. I mean, he's just such a sweet guy. Um, I hate to call him a kid because he's not really a kid. Um, but he's I just, he's so good. He played it so well, his role and, you know, the nuance of his role. Really interesting to me that Peter is kind of the only, the only character that's pretty self-assured. You know, he's got big, big aspirations and ambitions and but he, he he's kind of the most content out of out of everyone. For majority of, you know, seeing him on the screen, you somewhat est- underestimate him, which I think was something that kind of hooked me to him. It was it was being shocked by him, uh, which I really loved that he had somewhat of underlying power and wisdom and awareness to him that I really liked. He is who he is and he doesn't apologize for it. And he sees a strength, Phil sees a strength in yeah. that, which is attractive. And then, and then that moment of generosity going, I've saved you yeah. a hide, Phil. Yeah. I have one for you. You can use it to finish the rope. It just breaks him. It breaks him clean open. And it's heartbreaking. You know, no one's shown him that kindness or been able to or mm-hmm. understood him. It went from him kind of tormenting me to rather kind of taking me under his wing in a sense. I thought it would be more on the on the head knowing exactly what that sensation was as an actor but still for me like in those moments you don't know whether to you know run away or to stay there if it's warm or if it's cold or scary or nice but I think that's what it's all about there's a huge cloud of mystery that kind of follows you through this film Mm -hmm. it's a slow burn but somehow at the same time Jane has achieved impending doom and and to have you on the edge of your seat Jesse and Kirsten's main challenge during filming was creating distance between their characters. As a real-life married couple, the pair had to pull back on their normal dynamic in order to emulate the distance and unfamiliarity between George and Rose, who are only just getting to know each other. Her and George, who Jesse plays, meet each other at a time when they're both like pretty desperately lonely I think mm-hmm. and they I think that's what they recognize in each other's souls immediately with with me and Kirsten with George and Rose you know you're you're seeing a lot of it in in real time so there isn't that history so it was there was less to create and more uh, on the spot with you know giving into to the moment and everything yeah that was kind of the only challenge working with her was you know it definitely yeah helped having all of that underneath it but yeah their their physicality with each other is obviously very different from from ours and just the time and place too you know uh, men and women dealt with each other very differently then so mm-hmm. keeping all of that in mind too because we worked together before and he's my best friend it just at the end of the day to have somebody who has your back so hard and who we just we can talk about anything together we could have lunch together on set and just, you know, be supportive. And it's just, you know, we could like sleep next to each other and nap yeah. <laughs> on set in our trailer. And 
they only had to pay for one house for us because we're already together with our child. Um, so we were a good two for one deal too, I mm-hmm. think for production. There's some of it that's kind of intangible and hard to, to explain why you work well with certain people or, or why the, you know, it's, it's easier with certain people. It's just like, uh, why in life you become fast friends with someone or feel like you know them quickly. We had that on Fargo and for whatever reason, we're able to be really honest with each other and really trusted each other very, very quickly in, you know, the rehearsal process and, and shooting. And we're able to kind of develop a working relationship where we really, I don't, think, I don't know if it was conscious, but really pushed each other and respected each other's opinions so much that we could throw out an idea. And if, if the other one liked it, great if they didn't all right let's like go on to the next one you know that's something that's just kind of rare and and hard to come by and so i was just excited you know honestly even if we weren't married (laughs) weren't married with a kid it would i would have been extremely excited to work with her again just because she is unbelievable in the midst of filming new zealand entered a strict covid lockdown covid struck really hard and the world was in turmoil and uh, also you know the film itself got stopped for for about a month when we had two weeks left and I could see Jane just kind of beside herself thinking it wasn't going to get finished she was almost kind of certain I feel like and we all just you know built her up with faith that this was this was going to get done we're going to return we just need to kind of do the right thing you know it's so hard to see that the lockdown was weird in the sense it was three months hiatus with just you know to and at the beginning I was kind of going a bit spare thinking I don't know how, how am I supposed to maintain this or do I drop it and leave it and I, I talked to Jane a lot about it because I, I think you know I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm terrified of not being able to pick it up of him not being there especially mm-hmm. because it was a studio shoot we were in nature a lot for lockdown we were in the house in a beautiful part of, of, the, of the North Island but it was so removed from the work and the environment that again that, that fear returned but I talked it through with Jane we went through certain things and she came to stay once restrictions had eased and um, just came straight into the warmth of our family. It was just, it was amazing to see her Mm -hmm. in that context Mm -hmm. as well. But my God, after all that anxiety, A, we were so lucky and so blessed to be going back to work and we really realised that everything Mm -hmm. we'd taken for granted was suddenly so heightenedly precious. B, all that time subconsciously, Consciously with things like banjo practice and all sorts of things like that, but subconsciously on a very profound level, everything that had been shaken up and disturbed, I think, brought a lot more to the surface and Mm -hmm. really enriched that work for that last period in a way that, you know, I'm sure we could have got interesting stuff anyway, but definitely augmented the experience and the outcome, I think. When I had read the script, I wasn't really in the best place mentally and... What I took from meeting Jane and then kind of getting swooped away to New Zealand, which was a very angelic, beautiful kind of healing place for me that I was, I was yearning to go back to. And it just happened that it was at that time in my life. Um, and I was needing a job overall and something that I was passionate about, not something that I was just tolerating and accepting. Um, all of that came to my doorstep. And so I think the message for me was to just surrender and to always be open and welcome to 
to blessings that, that you're asking for. You know, the work is what matters, and that's that's the only experience you really have at the end of the day. I'm very director-driven. I'm not really role-driven. Mm-hmm. So for me, working with someone like Jane has been something I, I had craved for a long time. What I'm most excited by are these, these found little moments that come out of putting together all of these brilliant people, you know. It's like what makes any great musician great is not, you know, being tied to maybe some previous performance, not getting ahead of of themselves in the song, but like fully, fully giving in to the uncertainty of, of what's coming and being present, you know. She allowed me to be more open, I think, than I've ever been in a performance. I, at the same time, the character needed that. So it was a perfect combination. I often say to people now when they ask, what, what are you looking for? Where are you going next with your career? What choices, where there are choices I can make? What, what, how, what guides you? And it's always now really about who I work with. I've been very lucky to work with very kind, good people, as well as talented people. Also people that are able to bring something out of me that I haven't had um, before, who are interested in process and what it is we do, um, Mm -hmm. as well as the entirety of their holistic vision of what the picture is about. I couldn't think of a more rich character to play with a more extraordinary director. Thanks so much for joining me. The Power of the Dog is streaming now on Netflix. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast wherever you've been listening. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Krista Smith. Join me next time for more conversations here at Present Company.